All right, well, we're there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 18. It's been a couple of weeks since we were in 2 Samuel. And if you remember last, week, last time we were in 2 Samuel, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we went up to verse 18 of the chapter. So we're going to just pick up right where we left off in chapter 19. And we read the whole chapter there, so that might refresh your memory. If you remember, this chapter deals with the subject of the war that was fought against uh, Absalom by David. And they've, they had a decisive victory, and Absalom's now dead. Now, if you look down at verse number 19, the Bible says, Then said Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. This is after the death of Absalom, the son of, of David. Remember, David specifically told the people before they went into battle, he told the generals, he said, hey, deal gently with Absalom and, and don't, don't hurt him. You know, if, if you can spare his life, do it. And, and, and he's dead now. And Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, the Bible says that he said to Joab, notice there in verse 19, let me now run and bear the, king's the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. So we have a story here. The rest of this chapter basically deals with the story of these two messengers going to bring news of the battle uh, to King David. And, you know, in the days of, of David, they would often use these runners. To, to get messages across during times of battle and things of that nature. And that's what these young guys are doing. They're running uh, maybe through rough terrain. If you remember, the chapter tells us that there was a wooded area. Absalom dies on a mule because his head gets caught up in the branches of a tree. You know, so it might have been difficult to get uh, a horse or a mule or something through there. So they're using these young guys to run to send a message. Now, I want you to keep there, your finger there in 2 Samuel 18. That's our text for tonight. But go with me just real quickly to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 23. Now, towards the end of the, uh, of the Old Testament, you got those big major books of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Go to Jeremiah 23. I want you to look down at verse number 21. Jeremiah chapter 23, and I want you to notice verse number 21. Notice what the Bible says. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 21 the Bible says, this is God speaking through the mouth of Jeremiah. He says, I have not sent these prophets. Do you see that? Now, the word prophet is dealing with a preacher. This is a man that God has called to preach his word, to preach the word of God. But notice what God says. He says, I have not sent these prophets. And then notice what he says. Yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. The reason that he says there, yet they ran, is because these uh, young men that were used as runners during times of battle to get messages uh, across, they picture a prophet or a preacher. And here, God is referring to false prophets with false messages, and he says, I didn't send them, yet they ran. He said, you know, he's basically saying, they ran to deliver a message that I never gave them. And I want you to understand this. You can lose your place there in Jeremiah. Go back to 2 Samuel 18. I want you to understand that these runners represent prophets. In this story, we can get the idea here. They represent a picture. And it's interesting because Ahima has does several things in this passage, and he actually, you know, there's three different types of preachers or prophets or just 
people that I see him represent. I want to give you the three types of preachers that Ahima has represents, the three types of people that he represents. Look down at verse number 19. Let me give you, for those of you taking notes, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to take notes in your bulletin there, the insert, the course of the week on the back. There's a place for sermon notes. If you don't have a baby on your lap or something like that, maybe you can write these statements down. Number one, Ahima has pictures the preacher with zeal but no knowledge. Ahima has pictures the preacher or the person or the soul winner or the Christian with zeal but no knowledge. I want you to notice Ahima has had zeal. He was very excited. Look down at verse number 19. Then said Ahima has the son of Zadok. Notice what he says. Let me now run. He says, I want to run. He says, I want to do something. He said, I, I, I'm excited. He said, I, I, I want to be active in this battle. He says, let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged them of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. So basically, Joab says, listen, Ahimaaz, I like you. We only got bad news right now. I don't want to send you to deliver those bad news, so you're going to have to run another day. Look at verse 21. Then said Joab to Cushai, go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Now no Notice verse 22. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. Now understand what happens. He says, I want to run. Joab says, no, you're not going to run. I, I only got one message, and it's not the right message for you. He says, I'm going to send Cushai to give that message. And then, and he says, so, so you're not going to run. You've got nothing to say because Cushai is taking care of it. Look at verse 22. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, but howsoever... Now, the word howsoever there, he's saying, he's saying, look, anyway, anyway what? He's saying, look, I know I don't got a message. I know I don't got anything to say. I know Cushai is already taking care of it. But he says, howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. He says, I'm excited. He says, I want to run. He said, I want to go. And, and notice what Joab responds. He says, and Joab said, wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? He says, we don't have anything for you to send. We don't have anything for you to say. You, you, he said, I, I, I get it that you're excited. I get it that you've got energy. I get it that you've got zeal. But you've got nothing to deliver. Notice verse 23. But howsoever, said he, let me run. Notice this guy's excited. This guy's full of energy. This guy has lots of seal. Notice, and he said unto him, run then. And then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plane. Notice how excited. Notice how much zeal he has. Notice what the Bible says at the end of verse 23. And overran Cushai. Cushai took off before him. And Ahimaaz is just so excited. He's just running away. And he actually outruns him. He actually bypasses, you know, passes him up. He's so excited. Here's the thing about Ahimaaz. He had a lot of zeal. He had a lot of excitement. He had a lot of energy. The only problem is he had no knowledge. He had nothing to say. The tidings, were not, they'd not been appointed to him. They'd been appointed to Cushai. And notice what happens. Look at verse 22. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab. But howsoever let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? He says, You have nothing to say. He says, You've prepared nothing. Notice the word ready. He says, Thou hast no tidings ready. Skip down to verse number 20. Uh, uh, well, look at verse 28. And Ahimaaz has called and said unto the king, All is well. 
And he fell down before the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the man that lifted up their hands against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? A very direct question. And Ahima has answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult. Notice what he says. But I knew not what it was. So here's the thing. The king asked him a question. Is Absalom safe? And you know what he responds? I don't know. He's excited. Got a lot of energy. Got a lot of action. There's a lot of motivation. There's a lot, of, there, there's a lot happening there. But when it comes down to the message, David says, hey, is he safe? Is Absalom okay? And he says, I knew not what it was. Now, now he's lying. Because he knows it full well that Absalom's dead. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. He represents the guy that has zeal but no knowledge. He's excited, but he can't answer the question. He's excited, but he doesn't, he doesn't have anything ready of value to deliver and to give to you. Keep your place there, 2 Samuel 18. Go to Romans chapter number 10. I know you're familiar with these passages, but let's look at them quickly. Romans chapter number 10. Keep your place in 2 Samuel 18. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You said, what, what does this picture, those that have zeal but no knowledge? Well, first of all, it pictures false religion. You know, there's a whole lot of false religions out there that have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of energy. They're able to gather a lot of people. They're able to make a, 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 a lot of movement, but there's no answer there. There's no message there. There's nothing for them of value to teach or to preach. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 1. Romans chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, talking about the nation of Israel, is that they might be saved. Paul's saying, I, I, I desire for my countrymen, uh, the Jews, to be saved. Notice verse 2. For I bear them record, talking about the Jews' religion, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to to knowledge. See, it's not enough to have a zeal. It's not enough to be excited. It's not enough to have the knowledge, uh, to, to, to have the, the, the energy. You also have to have the knowledge that goes along with that. See, these Jews, Paul said, these Jews, they've got a zeal for God. And, and look, Paul is probably talking about himself. Remember, Paul, before he got saved, was Saul who was excited about persecuting the wrong people. Or persecuting the, the people that were actually saved. He was excited. He had zeal. He was accomplishing much. But what, what, how was he doing it? Without knowledge. Not according to knowledge. He was wrong. This picture is false religion. This picture is the contemporary Christian movement of today. Go, you're there in Romans. Go, go back to the book of John there. A couple of books back. And you go past Acts into the book of John. Go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Look at verse 24. I know you're familiar with these verses, but let's look at them. John 4, 24, notice what the Bible says. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Notice, in spirit and in truth. And today, you know, you say, what is this picture? It pictures the contemporary Christian movement. It pictures the Pentecostal movement. Go down to some charismatic Pentecostal church today. You know what you're going to find? A lot of zeal. You know what you're going to find? A lot. You're going to literally find people running around, you know, running around. <laughs> Rolling on the floors, excited, happy, glad, crying, emotional. But you know what you won't find? Truth. You know what you won't find? Knowledge. You know what you won't find? They'll get there with the message, but when the message is delivered, it's like, I don't know. I mean, people go to those churches and they're like, what must I do to be saved? I don't know. I mean, get baptized, speak in tongues, repent of your sins. 
You know, it's like, it, it, you say, well, well, what's the problem? Ahima has pictures of the prophet. He's got zeal. He's excited. But there's no knowledge. There's no message. There's nothing ready. They got nothing ready. They have nothing worth saying. You know who else? This picture is a picture is new Christians. Go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you can find those T books, you got 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So all those T books are clustered together. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know what I've noticed is that often a new Christian will get saved and they'll have a lot of zeal, but they don't have any knowledge. And specifically, God tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, He's giving us the qualifications of a pastor. And specifically, we are told in 1 Timothy 3, 6, that a pastor be, notice what he says, not a novice. The word novice means new, a newbie, someone who's new at this, someone who's not matured in it. He says, not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You say, why is that? Because I've, here's what I've noticed. New, young Christians, and I'm not talking about age, because spirituality has nothing to do with your physical age. In fact, G, uh, Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. It has nothing to do with your age. It has everything to do with your spiritual maturity. It has everything to do with how you're walking with God. You know, how much time are you spending in the Word, spending in prayer, growing your Christian disciplines? And he says, look, you can't have a pastor be someone who's a novice at this. You say, why? Well, new Christians, they're really excited. They're, 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 they're ready to run. They're ready to go. But you know what the problem is? Often, often, they're not ready. They've prepared nothing. They have no message. They have nothing to say. And, you know, as a pastor, I have, to, I have to play this very delicate balance trying to, you know, the last thing I want to do is, let a, is take a new excited Christian and, and throw a bucket of water over them, you know. The last thing I want to do is damper their excitement. But sometimes I kind of have to, you know, say, hey, hold back a little bit. Let's just wait a little bit, you know. Uh, let's get something ready to say. Let's get something ready to prepare. Let's get something right. You know, the Bible says you're there in 1 Timothy 3. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just one book over. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, the Bible commands us to study. You say, who, what does Ahima has represent? He represents the guy that has zeal and no knowledge. You say, well, what do we do? Here, here's not, here's not, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just cut out the zeal. I'm saying get the zeal and the knowledge. I'm saying get excited and read your Bible. Get excited and have a message. Get excited and study to show thyself. Approve unto God, a workman that he is not to be ashamed, right? Dividing the word of truth. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 15. You're there in 2 Timothy. You're going to go past Titus, past Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Notice what the Bible says. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do you see that? Now, I don't want you to get this idea, you know, well, I can't go soul winning until I've got every answer to every question. Look, you're never going to have every answer to every question. 
You know, don't get this idea, young man, that, well, I can't go into ministry until I have every answer. You're never, look, I don't have the answer to every question, but there is a difference between someone who's ready and prepared and has a message and understands the Bible. And look, you, we're not going to be able to answer every question, but you need to be able to answer a lot of questions. And if you're not able to, you say, well, I just don't, I, I just don't know. I just don't know what to say. Look, that's your fault. You need to read. You need to open up a Bible and get, get you a, a, a chart and work through your Bible systematically and read the Bible and read it again and read it again and study and study and read and memorize and make sure that you're ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a, 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 a reason of the hope. Make sure you know what you believe. I, I often tell people, you know, when you walk out of this church and your family asks you, why do you guys do that salt winning thing? Or why do you wear those skirts only, ladies? Or why do you do this? Or why do you do that? If the answer is because that's what the pastor said, that's the wrong answer. Amen. You may have a lot of zeal. You may have got rid of all your clothes, ladies, you know, that are bad and, and, and wrong. But you don't got an answer. Hey, you're running. You're that guy that's got zeal but no knowledge. You need to be careful to not be the person that's wasting, not be the novice, not be the person that's wasting your life because you've got zeal, which is great. You've got excitement, which is great, but you need to make sure you have knowledge. Hey, get the spirit. You go to these contemporary churches and everybody's, we're in the spirit, but where's the truth? But where's the Bible? But where's the, I'm, not, I'm not against emotional preaching. I, I, I think emotional preaching is great. I, I think I preach emotionally. You know, I think that's Fine, but hey, you know, get the spirit involved, but also get the truth. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Go, go back to, uh, keep your place there in First Peter, because we're going to come back to it. So make sure you, you keep your place there. But go back to 2 Samuel 18. You say, what, what is the problem with having zeal but no knowledge? Here's the problem with having zeal but no knowledge. You become useless. I want you to notice David's response to Ahimehaz. He He runs. I mean, the guy runs. He outruns Cushai. He's in better shape than Cushai. He's faster than Cushai. He gets there. He gets asked the question. He said, I don't know. Notice the response by David, 2 Samuel 18. Look at verse 30. 30. And the king said unto him, turn aside and stand there. Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And you know who they waited for? The guy that had the answer. Because when you have zeal but no knowledge, you become useless. There are people all over this country. There are independent fundamental Baptists all over this country that have a lot of zeal but no knowledge. You know, I think of these people. We got somebody. He's not an independent fundamental Baptist, but he always reminds me of the independent fundamental Baptists that have these sign ministries. You know, you go out there on that corner with a sign that says Jesus. You've been out there for 12 hours. Look, I don't think anybody would debate that you don't have zeal. I mean, that takes energy. That's work. You're out there holding that sign and, you know, waving it and spinning it and doing whatever. And you are you got a lot of energy in there. You're, you're tired at the end of the day. But you know what you accomplished? Absolutely nothing. Amen. Nothing was accomplished. I don't know what these people think. You, I mean, I, 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 something I want to stop and say, you really think that the hundreds of people driving down Northgate, I've never heard the name Jesus because I can promise you they all have. I mean, what do you think you're accomplishing by holding a sign that says Jesus? You say, well, what should you be doing? You should get some knowledge. Amen. You should read the Bible. You should learn what the Bible says. Then you should go knock on somebody's door and just talk and then confront them with the gospel. Amen. Don't you, don't, you know, imagine if we went out so many. Somebody opens the door. We just got a sign that says Jesus. What, what are you doing? You, know, you say, hey, can I share the gospel with you? Do you know for sure if you died today and you're on your way to heaven? I'm not sure. Can I show you that from the Bible? That's zeal with knowledge. 
And so and you got all these churches. They want to have their little ministries. We're going to go out and pass out a million tracts. Don't preach the gospel to anybody. Don't say anything to anybody. You know, don't just tell people Jesus loves you and move on. Look, they, they've got a lot of zeal. I'm not mad at them. I think it's great. But they're wasting their time. They're useless. Because when you've got zeal but no knowledge, you know what David says? You know what the king says? He says, stand, stand aside. He says, stand over there till the guy who's got something to say gets here. We've got Ahimehaz who pictures the preacher or the person with zeal but no knowledge. And listen, young people, make sure you're not just all hype and zeal without knowledge. I was talking to Pastor Anderson a couple of days ago, and we're, we're talking about this movement that we're, we're in, you know. And we're talking about how these preachers today uh, that are coming out of our churches, they're starting churches with 50 people in them, you know. Up in Vancouver, they had 50 people on Sunday morning up there, and they had 33 soul winners and 39, you know, on Sunday night. And I'm thinking to myself, it took us three years to get to 50, you know, and this and that. But, but you know, and, and it's fine because a lot of these guys that are starting out, they're, they're older, you know, they're, they're farther along in life. They're older. They've got older children. Most of them are older than I am, so I, I think it's great. But I, I was telling them, you know, I'm really thankful that when I started Verity Baptist Church, we didn't just have 50 people show up day one. Because, you know, when I started Verity Baptist Church, I was 24 years old. And that was six years ago. And you know what I've learned over the last six years? I don't know a lot. I mean, I know more than most of you when it comes to the Bible, <laughs> you know. Um, and if not, then let's have a test. Okay. But, but, you know, what I'm saying is this. You know, what I've learned is, is young people will often have a whole lot of zeal. And it has a lot of pride. And they, I mean, when I was 24, I thought I knew it all. I thought I had it all figured out. Nobody could tell me anything. You know what I've learned over the last six years? You know what I've noticed? The 30-year-old me versus the 20-year-old year me just has a lot less opinions. You know, the, the, the older me just, you know, I always see these young people, they're all arguing and fighting. Now you don't understand. And, you understand. and I'm just like, why are you guys fighting about that? Does it really matter? Who does it really? I mean, what, what's the point? You know, and, pe- and young people can be opinionated. It can be, you know, they get all mad and get all upset. Hey, make sure, hey, it's good to have zeal. And I get excited. I'm excited about the things of God. If I can prove it from the Bible, I will preach it. I will say it. But other things, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. We'll see. Who's going to win the election? I don't know. <laughs> we'll all see, you know. And uh, Ahama has pictures the preacher with zeal, but no knowledge. There's another picture we see with Ahama has. Go back to 2 Samuel 18. 2 Samuel 18. Keep your place there in 1 Peter 3, 2 Samuel 18. Look at verse 21. 2 Samuel 18, verse 21. Not only does Ahama has picture the preacher with zeal, but no knowledge, Ahama has also pictures a person that wants to tell something new. Notice what he does. Look at verse 21. Then said Joab to Cushai, go tell the king. He specifically told Cushai, you go give the message that thou hast seen. And Cushai abided himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, get again to Joab. But howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? But howsoever, said he, let me run. And he said unto him, run. Then Ahimehaz ran by the way of the plain. Notice, and overran Cushai. You say, why did he do that? Here's why he wanted to do that, because he wanted to be the first one to tell David. You understand that? He didn't want to get there with the news, the second guy with the news of victory. He wanted to be the first guy with the news, with the victory. And you know what I've noticed? Go, go to the book of Acts. 
Acts 17, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You know what I've noticed? There are certain people out there who want to be just telling a new thing. They want to be the first one to give you the, the new, let me give you that new doctrine. Let me give you that new philosophy. Let me, let, me, let me explain. And it's funny because we see it in the Bible. Acts 17, look at verse 16. And let me tell you this. We have a lot of this in our movement. Our types of churches have a lot of these, you know, I'm just sitting around talking about philosophy, talking about this, talking about that, trying to figure out a new thing, a new doctrine, a new, you know, just something to wow people with. So I can get a lot of views on YouTube. You know, look, if you get a lot of views because you're preaching the Bible, then praise God for it. But if you're just sitting around trying to, I'm just trying to figure out a new angle. Are you there in Acts 17? Look at verse 16. Acts 17 Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him and said, well, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, notice what they said, May we know what this new doctrine, wherefore thou speakest this. They're interested in the new doctrine. Look at verse 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ear. They, they, said, they said, this is new. Now look, there's nothing wrong with something new. He's preaching the gospel to these pagans that have never heard of Jesus or the resurrection. It was new. But notice they were attracted to it because it was new. They were attracted to it because it was certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Look at verse 21. For all the Athenians, notice, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You know, we got a whole lot of people in our movement right now spending a whole lot of time on YouTube doing nothing more than trying to tell or hear some new thing. And they just want to figure out, you know, the new thing. The new See, Ahima has, he didn't want to be the second guy to give the same message. He wanted to get there first and tell David first. He wanted to tell a new thing. And, you know, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. You study the Bible and God gives you insight, and you get some, you know, interesting thing in the Bible. Hey, praise the Lord for it. But we need to be careful that we're not just motivated with, I just need to be able to tell a new thing, and I've got to be able to come up with a new thing, and I've got to have a new doctrine to get over these people or to impress whoever. You're there in Acts. Go to Philippians chapter 3. You got Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And look, you do this long enough, you'll start just seeing these fads. You'll start seeing them come. I've seen them come now for several years. You know, right now the new thing is this flat earth thing. Somebody was telling me that we, we get emails. People ref, there are people who refuse to listen to my preaching online because behind me I have a picture of a globe. <laughs> you know? And um, that's okay with me. I don't need you to listen to me on the internet if you uh, think the earth is flat. But you, know, but, you know, it's like this new thing, and everybody's like, oh, getting into it, and the earth is flat, and the earth is flat. You know what it is? It's just a bunch of people sitting around wanting to tell a new thing, wanting to hear a new thing. And, so, and, and let me tell you something. It's not that new. I thought Christopher Columbus settled this many years ago, you know. But, uh, you know, they're all, you know, listen to me. Why don't you just read the Bible? Amen. 
Why don't you just study to show thyself approved unto God? And let me tell you something. Don't fall into this trap where you've got to tell a new thing or you've got to hear a new thing. Look, it's okay to just stick with the old paths. There's no new thing under the sun is what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Philippians 3, 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Notice what Paul said. Paul said, to write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He said, look, to write the same thing to you. Paul said, I'm not coming up with all bunch of new doctrine or new thing. I'm just going to tell you the same old thing we've been saying. He said, to write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you to say. Now listen to me. I do my best. I do my best to try to preach interesting sermons. I do my best to try to study the Bible and try to be different. I do my best to try to not be boring when I'm up here. But don't get to this place in life where you're just like, well, I've already heard all of it, and I know it. Because look, First of all, no, you haven't. You haven't heard it all. You'll never hear it all. The Bible is new and fresh every day. But, but let me say this. Even if you have, it's safe. It's safe. It's safe for you to hear another sermon against alcohol. It's safe for you to hear another sermon about proper dress standards. It's safe for you to hear another sermon about why we're family integrated. It's safe for you to hear another sermon about why you ought to read your Bible. You know why? Because the last time we preached on why you ought to read your Bible, you got all excited and started reading your Bible. That was three weeks ago. You've already quit, so it's safe for you to hear it again. And people are like, oh, he's just going to preach that again. When you get it right in your life, when everybody's just perfect on that, then we'll move on. But till then, we'll just keep dealing with the same things. We'll just keep helping you with your children. We'll just keep helping you with your marriage. We'll just keep, we'll just do, you say, why? Because for you, it is safe. And don't get this idea where, well, pastor better have something new. Look, I'll do my best to be entertaining. I will. I promise. Sometimes I do well. Sometimes I don't. I'll be honest. You know, sometimes I get up here and I preach a good sermon and praise the Lord for it. And sometimes, you know, I walk off this platform and I think to myself, you know, I'll just try better next time. <laughs> no one's going to hit it out of the park every time. But don't, you know, don't get this idea where, like, it's got to be new, it's got to be fresh. And then people are just like, well, let me just figure out what new thing I can get out of this chapter, a new thing. And then they come up with all this stupid garbage, you know. They want to go to Genesis 6 and tell you that the angels were having a physical relationship with you. You know, completely just made up garbage that's not in the Bible. We say, where does that stuff come from? It comes from people sitting around trying to tell or hear new things. Trying to tell, you know, that's who Ahimaaz was. Not only was he the guy that has zeal with no knowledge, he was also the guy that just wanted to get the first, the first one to break the news. Let me be the first one to make the YouTube video. This brand new thing I learned out of it. Look. Sometimes we learn new things. But you know what I've noticed? Whenever I discover some new thing in the Bible, I find out usually there's a lot of people that already saw that. There's a lot of people that already know that. It's fine to be interesting. It's fine. But don't be the guy that just needs to always hear or tell a new thing. So we saw number one, Ahima has pictures of the preacher with zeal but no knowledge. We saw number two, Ahima has pictures of the preacher that wants to tell something. And let me say this. If you're here tonight and you're one of these flat earthers, okay, I'm not against you. All right? You have the right to be whatever you want to be, okay? Um, but I don't, you know. We're not getting rid of this, okay? Uh, 2 Samuel 18, look at verse 24. 2 Samuel 18, look at verse 24. 2 Samuel 18, 24. We'll probably get rid of it when we get into a new building. But it's not going to be like flat, okay? It'll just be something else. <laughs> 2 Samuel 18, 
not going to be a bowl. It's not going to be a disc. 2 Samuel 18, look at verse 24. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate unto the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king, and the king said, If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called out unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And the watchman said, Me thinketh the running of the foremost, that's the one, the, the one who's in front, Ahimehaz, is like the running of Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. This guy was so excited, he had like a weird way of running. <laughs> they were able to identify, you know, that's a, I know who that is. That's a Ahimehaz. He's excited. You know, he got nothing to say, but he's really glad to be here. Notice verse 26. And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And the watchman said, Me thinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, Notice what he says. He says, He is a good man and cometh with good tidings. He's a good man and cometh with good tidings. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Look at verse 28. And Ahimehaz called and said unto the king, All is well. Now, I, I want to ask Ahimehaz, Really? 20,000 men just died. What do you mean all is well? The king's son just died. What do you mean all is well? And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, now listen to what he says. He's got a nice message. I mean, this is an eloquent message. This is a very comforting message. Blessed be the Lord God, uh, the, the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. He's an eloquent orator. He's a talented speaker. Look at verse 29. And the king said, is a young man Absalom safe? Nehemiah has answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. And again, we saw that he's lying. Joab specifically told him, you're not going to go because the, son's, because the king's son is dead. You say, what, what, what does Ahimehaz has represent? Not only does he represent the preacher that has zeal with no knowledge, not only does he represent, you know, uh, uh, what was that second point? I already forgot it. Good night. I can't remember this. The picture of the person that wants to tell something new. Oh, yeah, the flat earth. That's why I forgot it. Not worth remembering. <laughs> Number three, Ahimehaz represents the positive-only preacher. Notice he doesn't want to bring the negative message. He only wants to bring the positive message. David asked him about negative news. Is Absalom dead? And he says, you know, I don't know. I just want to give you the good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that we have succeeded and, and, and everything's gone well. And David knows this about Ahimehaz because David even says, he's a good man and bringeth good tidings. And Joab knows this about Ahimehaz because he says, no, Ahimehaz, listen, this is a negative sermon. You're not that kind of preacher. You preach only, po you're, you're positive only. Ahimehaz was the Joel Osteen of, of the runners. Ahimehaz was the Rick Warren of the runners. And he said, you only bring positive messages. And, and when he goes, he knows that there's bad news. But he says, I'm just going to deliver the good news. You know why? Because he wanted people to think that he was a good man with a good message. He wanted the king to have this perception when he said, hey, I, I see Ahimehaz running. And I, I think it's Ahimehaz. And he said, oh, he's a good man and he brings good tidings. And you know, today in America, we have a whole lot of preachers who want everyone, who want the media, who want their church people, who want the whole world to characterize them as a good man with a good message. Say, what's wrong with being a good man with a good message? Nothing wrong with it. But you know what? Sometimes if you're going to be a messenger, you've got to deliver bad news. If you're going to preach the Bible, you know there's negative parts to the Bible. 
And today we've got preachers that are positive only preachers. Let me give you the perfect illustration. Joel Osteen, back in 2005, was interviewed by, by Larry King. And I know this is old news, but it, it just so characterizes these type of preachers. Why don't you notice what, what he said in this interview? King asked him a question. He said, but you're not fire and brimstone, right? You're not a pound the decks and hell and damnation. Osteen, no, that's not me. It's never been me. I've always been an encourager at heart. And when I took over from my father... He came from the Southern Baptist background, and back 40, 50 years ago, there was a lot more of that. But, you know, I just, I don't believe in that. I don't believe, maybe it was for a time, but I don't have it in my heart to condemn people. I'm there to encourage them. I see myself more as a coach, as a motivator, to help them experience the life of God that God has for us. And he says, I see myself as a coach. You know, why don't you see yourself as a Bible preacher? Why don't you see yourself as a prophet of God? Why don't you see yourself as a man that stands up with a message, whether it's positive or not, and just say, hey, thus saith the Lord God, and then just, just give the message. See, he says, I, I just want to be positive. Here's what King says. But don't you think if people don't believe as you believe that they're somehow condemned? Osteen, you know, I think that happens in our society, but I try not to do that. I tell people all the time, preach a couple Sundays about it, I'm for everybody. You may not agree with me, but to me, it's not my job to try to straighten everybody out. The gospel is called the good news. My message is a message of hope. That's God for you. You can live a good life no matter what's happened to you. And I don't know. I know there is condemnation, but I don't feel that it's my place. You know, then, a, then a call, there's a lot to this. A, a caller ca- calls in, and the caller says this. Hello, Larry. You're the best, and thank you, uh, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and that the only way to the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Osteen, yes, I would agree with her. I believe that. King, so then a Jew is not going to heaven? Osteen, no. uh, Here's my thing, Larry is I can't judge somebody's heart, you know. Only God can look at someone's heart, and so I don't know. You know, he's, a guy, he's got zeal and no knowledge and a positive only. He's a, he's a high mass. He's like, I don't know. The king <laughs> is asking him a question, literally. Larry King is asking him a question, and he's like, I don't know. To me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I just say, here's what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to put my faith in Christ. Here's the problem with that. If the Bible teaches that salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and a Jew is asking you, so I'm going to go to hell because I reject Jesus, you know what the answer is? Yes! That, that, you're, not, you're not saying, well, I'm choosing. No, you're just letting God choose. You're just delivering the message. But you know why he won't say that? Because it's negative. You know why we don't say that? Because people will say, they won't say about him, you're a good man that brings good tidings. He says, and I just don't, I think it's wrong when you go around saying, you're saying you're not going, you're not going, you're not going because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, so then King says, but you believe your way. Osteen, I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. King, but for someone who doesn't share it, uh, they're wrong, isn't he? Well, yes, well, I don't know if, if I look at it like that. I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I don't know. I don't know. King, so you make no judgments on anyone. No, but I, what about atheists? You know what I, you know, O.C., you know what, I, I'm going to let someone, I'm going to let God be the judge of those who go to heaven and hell. 
I just, again, I present the truth, and I say it every week. You know, I believe it's a relationship with Jesus. But you know what? I'm not going to go around telling everybody else if they don't want to believe that that's going to be their choice. God's not. Uh, God's got to look at your own heart. God's got to look at your heart, and only God knows that. So he's not even willing to tell an atheist, like, no, you're wrong. There is a God, and his name is Jesus. You've got to believe on him. So then King, later on in the conversation, King's asking him these questions. Larry King's asking him these questions about, you know, do you preach political sermons? And he's saying no. And he says, how about issues that the church has feelings about? Abortion, same-sex marriage. That's King. Osteen, yeah, you know what, Larry? I don't go there. I just, King, you have thoughts, though. Osteen, I have thoughts. I just, you know, I don't think that uh, same-sex marriage is the way God intended it to be. I don't think abortion is the best. I mean, they're ripping a child apart in the womb. I don't think it's the best. I think that, you know, there are other, you know, a better way to live your life, but I'm not going to condemn those people. I tell them all the time, our church is open for everybody. King, you don't call them sinners? Osteen, I don't. King, is that a word you don't use? Osteen, I don't use it. I never thought, you know, you know who did use it? Jesus. I never thought about it, but I probably don't because, you know, most people already know that they're doing wrong. Oh, really? I don't think that's true, Joel. When I get them to church, I want to tell them that you can change. There can be a difference in your life, so I don't uh, go down that road of condemning. You know, you know who, what Joel Osteen is? He's a positive-only preacher. You say, why? Because there's good money in being a positive-only preacher. Because you, you'll get rich being a positive-only preacher. Because you'll become a multimillionaire writing books, your best life now, and writing books about God wants to favor you, God wants to prosper you, no, you know, it doesn't matter how you live your life. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 3. I remember you were supposed to keep your place there, uh, 2 Peter. I think you kept your place in 1 Peter. So go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Here, here's the positive only preacher. You say, why do they do it? 2 Peter 2, 3. Notice what the Bible says. And through covetousness. The love of money. Shall they with feign words. You know what the word feign means? It means to pretend. It means to counterfeit. It's a sham. Them through feign words make, notice, merchandise of you. That's all it is to Joel Osteen. That's all it is to these positive only preachers. You know why they don't want to say anything negative? You know why they don't want to say anything confer, uh, confrontational? You know why they don't want to say anything that's going to offend anybody? Here's why. Because then they'll leave and get mad. And they won't put money in the offering plate. And they'll get upset. You know, our church is growing and, and God is blessing it. I'm not sure how many people we have here tonight. It's a Wednesday night. I mean, we've got probably 100, well over 100, 110, 115 people here tonight. And, and but, but listen to me, you know, Joel Osteen's preaching to 30,000 people on Sunday. So how, Pastor, how, how can we get our church to the place where we have 30,000 people? Not the way I preach. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe one day our church, when we've been around for 30 years, we'll have 500 people or 600 people. But look, you're not going to be the most famous preacher in America preaching all over the TV by preaching a negative message. But you'll do it if you're willing to say, look, the stuff that Joel Osteen says, it, there's probably nothing wrong with what he says. Everything he says is probably fine. The problem is not with what he says, it's with what he doesn't say. Amen. See, Ahima has, everything he said was right. We won the battle. Things are going well. The problem with Ahima has is what he left out. What he wasn't willing to say. You know what the problem with Joel Osteen is? 
It's not what he says, it's what he's not willing to say. And, you know, let me just explain something to you. When we started Verity Baptist Church, we started in our living room, and we started, you know, just me and my wife and, like, two or three other people. It took us a year and a half. It took us, like, a, a year and a half to get out of the house. It probably took us eight months to get out of, you know, to, uh, to get into double digits, you know. We had a big celebration the first Sunday. We had ten people in church. And I'm thankful that God is growing our church, and I'm thankful that God is, is increasing us. But let me just make something clear to you, and I'm not trying to offend you. I just want you to know your pastor's heart. There is not one person in this room that I'm willing to change anything that I preach over in order to keep you here. I don't care how much you do. I don't care how much you give. I love you. If you quit, I would mourn you, and I'd be sad for you. But you know what? I'm not changing anything. I'm, I, I decided a long time ago, I'm not Joe Osteen. I'm going to do my best to study the Bible, to have an answer, to know what God wants me to say. And if the church grows, amen. And if it doesn't, that's God's business. He builds the church. He grows the church. He added daily unto the church, such as should be saved. My job is to preach the sermon and to deliver the message unadulterated. To give it to you plain. To give it to you right. And I can do that with love, and I can do that tactfully, and I can do my best. But listen to me. Ahima has pictures the preacher with a positive-only message, not willing to deliver the bad news. He, he pictures the person that wants to tell a new thing, and he'll outrun someone in order to be able to be the first one to deliver the message. He pictures the preacher with zeal but no knowledge. He's excited but got nothing to say. And the things he does know to say, he's not willing to say because he might get him fired. Go to 2 Samuel 18, look at verse 31. 2 Samuel 18, verse 31. We're, we're, we'll be done in two minutes. 2 Samuel 18, verse 31. And behold, Cushai came. Remember Cushai? He's a little slower, but at least he's faithful. And Cushai said, that's us. You know, it took you six years to get to 170. Yeah, we're a little slower, but we're just trying to be faithful. We could build it faster, but it'd be lying and without integrity. And behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, Notice what he answers. The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt be as that young man is. Now look, did he lie? No. Did he deliver the message? Yeah. Did he do it tactfully? Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible says that we can speak the truth in love. You know, the problem with most of the independent federal Baptist people, you know what the problem is? They got, they have, they're, they're not tactful. They don't have a filter between here and here to try to figure out. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people think like they, they watch me preach, they watch Pastor Anderson preach, they watch Pastor Romero, and they think like that's how we treat people. Look, when you're preaching the Word of God, that's one thing. I don't act like this when I'm talking to people individually. You know what Cushai didn't do? When David's like, is Absalom safe? And Cushai's like, that stinking brat, he deserved what he got. Let me tell you. You know, he didn't do that. He gave the message, but he did it tactfully. You know what's interesting is that Ahimaaz wanted to deliver the message. And Joab said, no, no, we're going to have Cushai do it. You know why I think Joab did that? Because I think, jo I think Joab understood that Cushai probably had the people skills required to deliver the message. 
Sometimes I, there's people that I can't, you know, I was telling the guys uh, uh, last night, we're having a leadership class, and I was explaining to them our personal workers ministry, and how we have soul winners that we train that are supposed to give the gospel uh, to, to first-time guests. You, and sometimes people ask me, like, well, why don't we just let anybody give the gospel to anybody? Why isn't it just a, free, a free-for-all? Here's why, because not everyone's a kushai. There's some people, you know, I'm like, I'm like worried when I see them talking to our guests. I'm like, what are they saying? What in the world are they saying to that person? You know, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, every time that person talks to a guest, that guest never comes back, you know, or something. And I'm just here to tell you, you can say the truth. You ought to work at how you say things. Joab knew that Cushai was a smart enough guy to be able to tell the king, your son is dead, and do it in a very tactful way. Notice what he said. Is a young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, verse 32, the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. What do you say? Yes. How do you say it? Tactfully. Kindly. You know what? When you're soul winning, make sure you're tactful. When you're at the door, I'm just going to preach a sermon today. I'm just going to tell them. You're not preaching behind the pulpit. Are you crazy? I'm just going to tell them that they're going to go to hell, and you better listen to me right now. Are you insane? Really? Be tactful. Be kind. Tell people, hey, smile. Be, be nice. Kushai got the message. Kushai got the job. Why? Because he had enough sense to be able to tell the king bad news in a nice, kind, tactful way. Kushai wasn't preaching a sermon. He said, well, pastor, why, why do you, sometimes you get up here and you're all mean. You know, sometimes I get up here and my, my goal is to get some people to run out. Sometimes I'm trying really hard to get some people to lead. You say, is that me? If you're asking that question, well, then. Unlike Ahai Mahaz, Kushai was tactful. Unlike Ahai Mahaz, Kushai was truthful. And that's what it is. That's, what it, that's all it takes. Be truthful. Be tactful while you're at it. Speaking the truth in love. Praise the Lord for it. But, you know, let's not be the preacher that's just not willing to give the negative message. And let's not be the guy that wants to be the first one to give the news. And let's make sure that we've got zeal, but we're not wasting that zeal because of a lack of knowledge. That's why I had to have a word of prayer.